This is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. I'd like to thank our sponsors who make our podcast possible. We take our podcast with the ongoing support of Raider and Jason Sikora, our sound engineer. Raider is a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. Iberia Bank and First Horizon, who are now one bank. Two relationship-driven banks, both leaders in the industry, have officially joined forces. The combination of Iberia Bank and First Horizon creates a leading financial services company dedicated to enriching the lives of their clients, associates, and their communities. I'd also like to thank Lafayette General Health, who has joined the Oshner Health family and is now Oshner Lafayette General. As one health system, Oshner Lafayette General will provide expanded services and enhanced care from the familiar faces you already trust. Oshner Lafayette General means more resources to help solve healthcare's toughest problems, reinvesting in our communities, and being further committed to health and wellness. Oshner Lafayette General, together means more. Learn more today at togethermeansmore.org. Kay Kuvion, longtime educator and student life coach, joins us today. Kay earned a master's in education, plus an additional 30 hours in education from UL Lafayette. She has taught at all grade levels, including gifted education, in Vermilion, Iberia, Lafayette, and Acadia parishes. In 2004, Kay opened her life coaching practice, where she offers a space of listening and discovery of life plans. Currently, Kay serves as an academic mentor in the athletic department of UL Lafayette. And Kay Kuvian, as I welcome you to Discover Lafayette, I want to say it was synchronicity that brought us together. We've been longtime friends. You've coached my family. But also, we not only saw each other at a funeral, but we saw each other at a celebration of life as Frank Randall you know, hosted The Last Dance as he was closing down Randall's. And so I felt that I wanted to share your message with other people. Thank you for joining us at Discover Lafayette. It's fun to be here, Jan. Oh, my goodness. So we met, I don't even know how many years ago I met you. I heard about the work you did with students. And I don't know any high school student that isn't struggling with where do I fit in? What am I going to do in life? But you had been, you had brought decades of experience as a teacher to your student life coaching. I met you in 2006. It was Is that f- the year? That's the year. It was a fun time for me because I had opened wow. my practice in 2004 and um, worked with a graphic artist to design a brochure for life coaching for teens. That was my first intention when I started. And somehow... The brochure ended up in your hands from the school counselor. Hmm. And what was interesting about that is that we had met at a closing where I bought property. Well, that is where I met you. Yes. You know what? I forgot about that. I used to be a real estate lawyer, and you bought some beautiful property. I did. (laughs) 
I remember that. So that that was kind of a synchronicity. Right. That was our beginning. Yeah. But you taught me, um, and I think my family, that it's okay to say, I'm not really sure where I am. I mean, all of us are students in life. And unless you're willing to say you don't know where you are, you can't move forward. Right. Right. So let's talk about this first. You graduated from, uh, it was USL. Yes. You graduated, we call it now UL Lafayette, and um, you're an educator. So you started teaching in Vermilion Parish, and for anybody that knows the Cuvion name, they know your brother is the longtime sheriff, right? Yes. I mean, your family's well-known in Vermilion Parish. Um, I was thinking... Is it er, Mike? It Mike. Mike Cuvion. Yep. He's the sheriff in Vermilion. I have five other brothers. You do? I do. <laughs> and... One of my brothers, Jude, was in my first class. I started teaching in January of 1976, and Jude, who is 10 years old, was in my fifth grade class. Oh, no. Well, yeah. how did they do that? They didn't want to move him to another teacher? Well, there was just one section one of fifth section. grade. <laughs> there were 36 of them. Did you cut him slack? Uh, Jude no. Was, Jude was such a good kid, very well liked, and he still is. Um, and because I was so lucky that Jude was in my class because <laughs> because they loved Jude, they the students made a decision to give me a chance. Because you were so young. I was twenty one. And your they were ten. Brother. Wow. <laughs> and he was my brother. So it was the perfect first job for me. Let me ask you, back in nineteen seventy six, how different was teaching compared to two thousand twenty one, twenty twenty one? Um, I think about that often. I arrived at school, and the principal, Ray Allen Falk, handed me a grade book and a wooden paddle. A paddle? A paddle. For those that went wayward? Yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I, I somehow obtained a box of chalk. So pretty much what I used was a box of chalk and my creativity and my resilience. That's about all I remember. I mean, I grew up, we're the same age. I grew yes. up in public school in Baton Rouge. I mean, there was a chalkboard, chalk, and we brought our, you know, we had our paper and pencils and ink when we got older, but there wasn't yeah. all this other stuff going on. But also the classes were big and we listened to our teachers or our parents, you know, yeah. listen. they listened to the teachers also, right? Yes. If somebody got in trouble, the parents weren't going, what happened here? It was more like, Johnny, go stand in the corner for the weekend or something. Parents were wonderfully supportive. Mm -hmm. And because of that, discipline wasn't a big deal. And back to the paddle, I only used it once. You did? It was never on a child. It was hitting the wall. Uh, A student did something, and I could see that I needed to address it, so... We went outside, and I brought the paddle with me, and I looked at the student, and I said, so when I hit the wall, you scream. And um, So everybody thinks, oh, no. So I hit the wall, and she wailed and screamed and hollered, and then we both went back in, and the rest of the students were wide-eyed, and the rest of the year, discipline that was pretty good already was... Amazing, And you gave yeah. her a break because yeah. she need, she probably needed a break. She needed a break, and I didn't think about it. 
I just took mm-hmm. the paddle outside, had no idea what I was going to do, but I knew I wasn't going to hit her. I know, right. <laughs> so you started there. I mean, how did you move all over, you know, well, from Vermilion to all these surrounding parishes? What was your career like? In 1976, there were 500 graduates from USL. There were two jobs in Vermilion Parish. At that time, the way to become a teacher was to have a conversation with your school board member, and they would get a job for you. So 500 graduates in education? In education from USL. So there were two jobs in Vermilion Parish. One was at Hebrew Sword, where I grew up, and Hebrew Sword is my great-great-grandfather, Ernest Brewster. Oh. The other job was in Erath, and it was kindergarten. I was kindergarten certified and a student taught in first grade. The job I wanted was kindergarten in Erath. Oh. But, um, but. <laughs> lucky for me, my first job was fifth grade because I discovered within a week that I never wanted to teach kindergarten. You did? What, what um, if you can share that? Oh, fifth grade was so much easier for kindergarten. To have a 10-minute lesson, it would take me 20 minutes of work pre-planning. For fifth grade, I could walk in and teach and be with the children in an easier way. Mm-hmm. And I, I, did, I think I just related to them better, but didn't know because I didn't train to teach fifth grade. Right. And that's pre-puberty. So yes. they're probably acting up but not showing off as much with the girls or the boys? It was more of just a rambunctious uh, group, fifth graders. Are they pretty well behaved at that age? Most fifth graders are cool. A- as you said, they're, they're not as needy, but they're not middle school, so they're just a pleasure to be around. Mm-hmm. And when I listened to them, I discovered how they wanted to learn, how they could learn. They gave me hope. They gave me a chance. It was my first year, and I'm hoping that I gave them hope for the yeah. future. Yeah. So you've taught for 46 years. Yes. I, l- I had to look at the numbers. Um, I feel like all of us are fifth graders inside. You know, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you here. As we transition to what I really wanted to get into, can you talk about your career in education? You've taught all. You've taught K through. 12th, right? I mean, you've yes. taught gifted, you've taught enrichment programs, you've kind of taught the spectrum. Is that what happens with a lot of teachers? Do you get moved where the needs are, you know, and you just show up? Or how, how does that typically work for an educator? Many educators stay in one school and one grade level their whole career. Um, and lucky for me, I was well. I got bored after four years in the fourth grade. I thought, if I have to teach multiplication tables in January one more time, I won't last in a teaching career. And again, lucky for me, there was I was in Iberia Parish at Avery Island Elementary, and I heard about a new gifted program in our country. Oh. And Iberia Parish received the first federal grant to train teachers. So the criteria was five years teaching and a master's degree. And I you had, had that. I had four years teaching. Oh. And I was finishing mm-hmm. my comprehensive exam in a couple of months. I was almost through with my master's. So I applied and asked them if they would consider my application. 
and they did. And uh, so that's how I started training. And there wasn't a degree program in Louisiana yet. So instead of us taking master's courses that didn't exist, the gifted professors who had written the books came and mm-hmm. taught us over a couple of three years training. Who is gifted? Like, I know there's gifted and talented. I know they're different, but I'm not really sure. Who, who is gifted? So gifted is more of an academic program, academically gifted or a gifted enrichment it's more cognitive. And not necessarily like band or dance or... Right. And, um, and talent is, it could be talented in art, talented in music, mm-hmm. talented in theater. Um, and academically gifted students in the state of Louisiana are evaluated by our special education teams. And when you said who is gifted... Yeah, that's what I'm... It like, made me think of... Mm-hmm. what. I think of two people, uh, Dr. Joseph Renzulli and Sally Reese. They're married. They're both at the University of Connecticut, and they were pioneers in gifted education. And they created a summer camp for teachers called Confortude. It's a made-up word, but it's a summer camp for our gifted teachers where they learn the gifted pedagogy, practice the gifted pedagogy and bring that enthusiasm back to their states. You think that it's good for kids to be labeled as gifted? Is that Um, a good thing overall? Well, I think all kids are gifted. That's what I wondered. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think all kids are gifted in different areas. Mm -hmm. Some are gifted in building. Some are gifted in interpersonal relationships. Um, and in Louisiana, our state has chosen to identify academically gifted mm-hmm. students. Uh, to me, emotional intelligence is a gift. Absolutely. As important, if not more important, than the high IQ, only because of life. You know, you can be very intelligent in, on paper and pass tests and probably build buildings and do other things which we need. But if you don't have that emotional intelligence and empathy and all the things that make the world go round, it, it can still be a, um, a struggle living a good life. Fortunately, our supervisors encourage us to write social goals on our individual educational plans. So we integrate emotional intelligence as much as possible. As, as educators, you yes. do that? Yes, yes. I didn't realize that. Well, we do in the gifted program. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure right. what other special education programs do. I do know superintendents and leaders are beginning to realize how valuable emotional intelligence is. So my wish is that we continue to do so. Right. Yes. Right. Well, I want to jump in to some of the things I'd like to discuss with you, some you know real-life things that adults um, may want to hear. But before we do that, I'd like to pause and reflect back on an interview that we did with Lauren and Paul Baker. Now, Paul Baker is known as the uh, headmaster at ESA, and he plays the organ at Asbury, and he's a, a gifted, he's, he's totally gifted as a musician. And Lauren Baker is known as a violinist with the Acadiana Symphony Orchestra, and she teaches to young people. In this short clip, 
Lauren uh, discusses how she learns as much from her young students, even those as young as two and a half years old, as she teaches them. And I thought this might go with your interview, Kay. You can hear this interview, along with many others, at discoverlafayette.net. Let's take a listen. There's a window um, where music is uh, the most accessible to the brain between the ages of four and six. However, anybody can start at any Mm -hmm. age and gain from it and learn to play at a certain level. But it also requires a daily attention by the parent who comes to the lesson and then practices with the child at home, and they have to play the recordings of the repertoire the child mm-hmm. is learning a lot. Yeah. Um, and then my responsibility is huge, and I feel that if my student isn't progressing, the first place I look is me. What can I do differently? I have really become to love what I do. Mm-hmm. As a teacher, um, it's challenging, and I teach children from the ages of two and a half to adult, well two into adult half. years. Two and a half, the violin? I've started, yeah, two and a half years. To have them listening? No, yeah. they're actually, they start on a box and chopsticks, oh. and they learn how to hold a bow, and they learn how to balance the box, and then they learn how to do rhythms. The two sides of the body are separate. The bow is like a, an instrument in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It's very complex, just just learning how to right. deal with the bow. Wow. So, so it, teaching has taught you. Oh, a lot every day. About life. Uh, every day. I didn't expect all this. I mean, I'm, I'm just fascinated with I this. I learned from every student standing in front of me every single day. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette with Kay Kuvion, longtime educator and life coach. I'm going to say student life coach, but it's really life coach. So, Kay, we have spoken recently, and you had some really wise words for me. And I was, you know, kind of bemoaning after we saw each other, as I said at the beginning of the interview, we ran into each other at a funeral and then a celebration of life. But all of us feel like at times we've had our teeth kicked in, whether we're little people like two and a half years old learning violin or UL Lafayette athletes that you coach, grownups like us, we we have disappointments and all, and we need each other. And sometimes we need direction, you know, on how to maybe reframe what we're talking about. And that's kind of why I wanted you here today. If you can talk about how you coach students and maybe how some of this might be relevant to us, no matter what our ages are. You know, you started talking about um, coaching teens, but I would think what teens go through is pretty similar to what a lot of us go through. Life changes. I usually start with a question, what's up? What's up? <laughs> um, because many teens feel lectured to rather than listened to. So if I ask what's up, I never know what I'm going to hear. But what I do know is that it could be what's up for them or it could be what they're saying until they figure out what's up for them. Because until they know what's up, they don't know what direction to go or if they're going in the direction they want to be going in. So I've learned over life that 90% of learning takes place in conversations between people or among people 
And if we reflect on classes we've been to or conferences or seminars, there's not 90% of conversations. There's right. a whole lot of lectures. Listening, yeah. And maybe people tune out too, right? Right. It's like blah, blah, blah. Right. So it's so important that I listen because that's the greatest gift you can give to someone. Do you think that most uh, teens know what direction they want their life to go in? I mean, are we aware at that point? I doubt seriously that they know. And when I was in high school, I wanted to be a flight attendant. Mm, exciting. <laughs> because my beautiful blonde first cousin was a flight attendant. Oh, so she got to travel everywhere? She, yeah, so that sounded incredibly glamorous to me. Um. And it doesn't mean that would have been a bad idea. I might become a flight attendant mm-hmm. eventually. <laughs> I still think it's about not too it. late, right? Right, I right. Mean, I don't know about short skirts, but they don't have to wear those anyway. <laughs> right. Well, now that slacks are permitted. Um, but when we went to college, more often than not, you obtained a degree and started working in that degree. Mm-hmm. Whereas children today may declare a major when they're. 17 or 18 or 19, and then that career won't exist by the time they graduate anymore. Or they may work in a career in their 20s that didn't exist when they were 17 and chose a degree, because that's how quickly our world is changing. When my husband and I watch Jeopardy (laughs) and the contestants state their occupation, sometimes we have to pause and Google what the occupation is because we've never heard of it before. Really? Yes. I interviewed a guy this week on Talk Louisiana. He's a uh, disturbance ecologist, and I had to look it up. Well, he's really just studying what happens as climate change, you know, destroys things, like it moves out right. wildlife and all. But I was like, a disturbance ecologist. But he's good at what he does. He's excellent. But I, knew, I understood that he wrote for National Geographic, but I wasn't quite sure what that meant. <laughs> right. And when I was 18, uh, disturbance Ecology was not a major no. of choice. I know. Now, I got out in general studies. I switched majors probably about nine or ten times, yeah. and I just wanted to graduate. And luckily, I got into law school. But if you had asked me when I was 17, 16 or 17, what I wanted to do, I, I had no idea. And I yeah. just think a lot of young kids are they're being pushed in so many directions to not only excel, but say, I'm going to be a doctor or engineer, lawyer. Or maybe an ecologist, you know. Yeah. It's it's a lot of pressure today. Lucky for us, when we went to college, credit cards didn't exist. And it was very inexpensive Um, to go to college. For me, it was $162 a semester for tuition. Me too at LSU. Room and board was about $337. Mm -hmm. So for $500 a semester. You could mess up. You you know. know, And then. Or, Or get your diploma. Not that everybody messes up, but a lot of people didn't know. They, they switched majors, too. Huh? <laughs> yes. Well, I, I started in Undecided as well. I told my father I wanted to major in computer science and go to Harvard. Oh. And um, How did that go? Well, he said I could go to USL or McNeese and I could be a teacher <laughs> or a nurse. Because that was really Because that two. was what women did mm-hmm. successfully and raised children. Or you went to tech school and became an administrative. We didn't even call it admins. They were secretaries. Right. And um, I don't I 
remember business colleges, but mm-hmm. if you went to college, is most women were teach majored in education or nursing. Right. So to show my father that I wasn't going to major in education or nursing, I majored in undecided. <laughs> and then after two years, I went to work at the Grand Canyon. And in three months, I worked in accounting. I worked in hospitality, just as a southern belle on the stairs of the El Tavora Hotel, the mm-hmm. Grand Hotel in the canyon. And what else did I do? I've forgotten. But all good experiences. All great experiences. But what I discovered is that I didn't want to be in business or accounting. And I certainly didn't want to be in hospitality. I got yelled at a lot if the room reservations were lost. Um, So when I came back from Arizona, I switched my major to education because I've always loved to learn and read. And that was fate. It was where you were meant to be. Yeah, but I wasn't ready to declare it at 18. Right, right. Well, a lot of kids these days and and adults are on um, medication for stress, depression, and I know, I didn't know this till we spoke recently, but you also help not only kids that might need some coaching, but you're working with members of the UL athletic department, like football team, right? Yes. Talk, talk about and that. I didn't realize, I knew that they had tutors, but they need more than tutoring. Um, they, they have opportunity for study hall and student tutors. And I'm what's called an academic mentor. And... Uh, Typically, I work with athletes. It could be football. I've worked with a a track team member and a basketball player who need guidance beyond tutoring. And a lot of it is um, just keeping their word, being accountable, reporting into somebody. Keeping their scholarship. Keeping their their scholarship is big. Big. What UL is real good about is... Not only wanting the students to achieve athletically, but wanting them to succeed in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I am impressed with the university for promoting that to the boys, and I think it's part of the reason they've done so well recently. When Coach Napier arrived, I asked some of the football players, "What do you think of the new coach?" and The boys' first responses were all identical, and in various forms, what they said is, Coach Napier really likes us and wishes us well. Mm -hmm. Like, they didn't talk football terminology, but their first impression was that this man wanted to be there, and he liked him. And I think that's what's so important in schools, in universities, and in families today, is that as a community, we, we let others know that we want them to be there and that we like them or respect them or both and love them. Mm -hmm. And most of the boys that I work with at UL, um, in their own way, acknowledge I'm old enough to be their grandmothers. Most kids love their grandmothers. Uh, And they've been respectful. They've been responsible. And... um, I learned a lot from one gentleman this semester because he spoke about his struggles with his beliefs and, and his teacher's beliefs and um, figuring out how to keep his beliefs in tune and please the teacher as well. 
because students are under a lot of pressure for good grades. And if a student has a different premise or a different thought, some of them feel the teacher will penalize them. So we talked about that. And whenever, at our last meeting, I told him that I wished him teachers who will listen and have an open mind Mm -hmm. um, and keep, keep him thinking. Because once you graduate from high school or university, it's up to you to make decisions. You won't have a teacher with you every day. So that's a skill that requires a muscle. Right. And wouldn't it be great if in classrooms they could practice that muscle? Yeah. And you're giving them not only guidance, but you're giving them time so that their brains can develop and mature. And think to about see this. It. Yeah, and yeah. think about what they want. You mentioned young men. What about young women? The, there are girls, and they receive um, similar services. I just, just haven't, haven't worked uh, with the girls. Right. However, lucky for me, five years ago, I took a class at UL in the 60-plus program. It was art. It was drawing. Is it one of those free classes? Yes. You know, I don't know if people know that. Is that still available? It is if you're still 60 available. If you're or older, you can take one. Or older, yes. You can take one um, class a semester, semester at no charge. So... You know, I forgot about that. So I took drawing. Oh. And one of my classmates was a, a UL basketball woman, women. <laughs> She's on the women's basketball team. And uh, we became friends. We sat by each other. And she asked me one time if I would go and watch her play basketball. So I did. I went to um, the Cajun Dome and watched her play. And she she got so excited before the game, (laughs) she stood up and waved at me. And so um, they they just have different academic mentors. I've never had the opportunity to work Mm -hmm. with the girls. But I... I, um, I I see them when I go to the athletic office. Do you think that teens or college students or middle-aged people or people like us, are our needs any different as far as needing uh, each other? You know, like, is there, are we all kind of rooted in the same needs? Um, I think we're all children and we just have adult bodies. Yeah. And even though... We know we're older and we want to be mature. It doesn't always happen. There's, like we're all childlike at moments and, and have similar needs of wanting to be loved, wanting to be acknowledged, wanting to be appreciated. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's easy to not do that. I walked in from book club last night and instead of kissing my husband like I usually do, I went straight to the tin of the cookies. He did. <laughs> And he came and teased me. Instead of walking in and kissed me, he went and got a cookie. <laughs> so we all want to be loved and appreciated. It's so mm-hmm. easy to forget. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we spoke recently, and I was disappointed about something that had happened. And you just listened to me. And, you know, the way you're treated, life doesn't always go our way. And it doesn't for anybody, no matter how talented or fortunate they are. But... When things don't go your way, to have others there just to listen, you know, and let you be and get it off your chest is just, it's such a gift. If you can touch on that, because you, you kind of gave me a, um, you took time with me, but also affirmed that it's okay to feel down in order to get better. 
um, I, I remember. And I remember how important it is to have a, a sibling, a daughter, a son, a friend, a colleague to listen to your concerns because typically we make it about ourselves where it's bigger than that. And if we only personalize it and don't realize it's, it's, it's a much bigger context, we'll personalize it and internalize it and ruminate about it. Mm-hmm. So if you can find someone to listen, and from that listening, you'll eventually begin to figure it out. Yeah, the bigger picture. Right, the bigger picture. And I don't have the answers, but I'm hoping by being a space of listening, you can figure out the answers. Mm -hmm. Because we really are all like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. If we click our red ruby shoes, we know the answer is within. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many times people will say, if you share something, well, at least this didn't happen or it could have been worse. But what we really just want is someone to look at us and give us space to be, huh? Yes. Yeah. And when someone has tried to rationalize with me, I didn't like it. <laughs> I just want to be listened to. Yeah. I, don't I know it could be worse. I could have fallen <laughs> right. off a cliff, but I right. mean, I didn't. You know, I'm still here right. to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> and we talked earlier about um, I'm wearing a piece of jewelry that's made out of a domino. It's beautiful. And I wore it intentionally because I thought about how easy it is when I haven't succeeded to just quit or Mm -hmm. get out of the game. Yeah. Um, Because you you don't want to get hurt again. Right, right. And as you said, we don't want to get kicked in the teeth again. But it's so important to just get back in the game. And because I rode horses as a child and got um, kicked off the horse many times, I knew how important it was to get back on the horse. And I rode bikes a lot and falling off the bikes and get <laughs> bleeding <laughs> with broken glasses getting back on the bike. But um, that's how we learn. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not going to do it this way next time. Like... Like on my bike, I realized I couldn't talk on the phone and ride my bike at the same time. <laughs> I had to that's fall a good, off. That's a big lesson. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> An important some, one. Some people can. I cannot. <laughs> but uh, and in designing classes for summer programs at UL, some of my classes would fill up and succeed, and some wouldn't. And then one summer I designed a Harry Potter class, and it was very popular at the time. And no one had designed a class before. And within 90 seconds, the class had filled up. And Dr. Audemars called and asked me to let more students in. But had I thrown in my towel, I wouldn't have ever designed that class. And again, I had way more fun than the kids in the Harry Potter classes. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. As Lauren Baker said earlier, You learn from your students, right? Yes. What do you get from them? What do you learn from younger people? Well, one of my favorite sayings was uh, from a boy, Keegan. He wanted to do something, which made sense. It was a sound idea. And I was telling him, well, we'll do it next week or what, you know, after lunch. And he looked at me and he said, why not now? Mm -hmm. 
those three words, why not now? And something, I agree with him. <laughs> something clicked. And I, I may said, not be here next week. You know? <laughs> he said, like, you, I said, Keegan, you are right. Why not now? And whatever we were doing, I put away. And we started doing what he wanted to do. And because he was so interested and passionate about it, that was much more valuable than my lesson plan. And you heard him. I heard him. Why not now? And I think about, I haven't seen Keegan in 25 years, but I, I oh think my gosh. he was like eight Little. years old. Oh. And I think about him often. Why not now? Because we don't know if we'll be here tomorrow or next week or next month or in five years. And even if we are, circumstances might change. Right. Where we Why could, not now? Why not now? So that that's one of I the, love that. the biggest from mm-hmm. students. Um Another thing that I learned from, well, I love to write. You write poetry. I write poetry. I've, I've uh, co-written a book, Extraordinary People in Ordinary Times, through UL Press, through uh-huh. a graduate writing class. So I love to write. And our book signing was on Veterans Day in 2001, two months after 9-11. Um, so... And, and I wrote medical advertising for Pinnacle Health Group for about 15 years. So I like to write all sorts of things. But one of my favorite moments was um, I was in the LSU bookstore on a Saturday for game day. And I heard a young man speaking. He was a guest author. So I thought, that sounds like Christopher. So I walked up to the table, and it was Christopher Warner from New Iberia, Louisiana, and he looked at me, and he said, Scovion, look, I wrote a book. Simile, metaphor, personification, and he held up his Everything book. Everything you taught him? Yes, he said, all the things you told, you Aww. taught us. It's in this book. And he was a published, he's written many books. Oh, he's a goodness. published author. And I was looking at him thinking, okay, here's my student at a book signing doing what he loves. He always loved to write. Mm -hmm. So I learned from him that um, if I want to write a book, write a book. Why not now? Yeah, (laughs) why not now? (laughs) Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah, so that that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we're kind of winding down, you know, this is December 2021, and COVID, we all thought, would be a thing of the past at this point. And while things have opened up, we still don't know how long we're going to have all this over our heads. How do you think this has affected people? We've not been able to socialize much until recently. Do you think it's affected students and adults? Absolutely. Um, what, what I learned, I'll start with students. Last year, I was in 19 different schools. Typically, students would come... To, uh, attend my studio one day a week. But because of COVID and the Mm. alternating schedules and alternating school bus schedules, instead of them coming to me, I went to them. So at the beginning of the year, out of 38 of my students, 10 of them chose to have virtual instruction. So I'm happy to say at the end of the year, one of them was still virtual. And everybody else was Everyone back. else opted to come back in. Right. Within nine weeks, nine mm-hmm. out of the ten had come back face-to-face. 
And what the students would tell me is they did not like being at home. They wanted to be with their friends. They wanted to interact with others. To me, that was a metaphor for adults, Mm -hmm. for the most part. We enjoyed reflection time and home improvement projects. Um, But over time, we wanted to get back out into the world with barbecues and family celebrations and art walks and baseball games and football games. All the energy that comes from From being with people. And I thought about the two times I've seen you recently. Mm-hmm. We, we could go to a funeral home and mm-hmm. we could go to a celebration of a restaurant because things have changed. And knowing that it, it may return to... Um, more staying at home in the future. But while while we're able to get out, like, why not now? I know. I yeah. want to go do everything. <laughs> well, why not now? I know. And uh, I have creative friends, Brenda and Susan, and we missed each other a lot during COVID. So we figured out a way to exercise outside yeah, six feet apart. And, yeah. and we walked and we went bike riding and we... Um, we love our neighbors. So mm-hmm. my husband and I figured out how to entertain neighbors. We'd sit on the swing, and then we brought lawn furniture out, and we spaced yeah. it six feet apart. And I think there was good that came from it. Yes. More people outside playing tennis, right. golf, walking. Yes, walking. Things you could do. Enjoying outdoor activities and, yeah. and figuring out the six feet, because at the time, that's what we were asked to do. And, yeah. Um, but now we have to relearn how to hug. Right. Because you look at people like, ooh, what do I do? <laughs> right. Well, I, I had our December Christmas book club meeting last night, and it was great fun hugging all the ladies in the book yeah. club. Yeah. Good. So it feels good to to have that again. Yeah. So, Kay Kuvion, are you accepting uh, any new students or people that need coaching? Is that something that we can share? Yes. I'm, I'm excited that... I have, um, I'm just excited that I love being with clients because this is available today, where when I grew up, it wasn't available. I had never heard of a life coach when I was 18. Or even 35, um, you know. (laughs) And talking about the domino and staying in the game, when I was considering a master's degree, I wanted to become a guidance counselor because I've always loved listening to people and being with others. And I was afraid to take statistics, so I didn't major in guidance counseling. And ironically, one of my basketball players' senior graduate course was statistics, so I did take statistics with With a basketball player. Google is a wonderful thing. You had to learn how to teach him. Yes, I had to learn statistics so that I could work with him. So what I'm learning is that if I move past my fear, there's a reward on the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can help others acknowledge that in themselves. Yes, and um, I, I don't advertise in a newspaper. All of my clients have come to me through word of mouth or friends or previous colleagues or may I put your email and phone number at, on the show notes? Can you share that? Absolutely. Yes. Can you share it uh, while we're talking? Oh yes, my phone number is 337-993-1107. My email is 
in tribute to my mother, whose last name is Apple. Mm-hmm. So it's K C O U V A P P L E at gmail.com. Yeah. So I'll share that in the show notes too. But I think for people that may be interested, it would be worth their while to reach out to you. So, Kay Kuvion, longtime educator and student life coach, thank you for joining us right before Christmas and sharing your message of peace and love. Appreciate you so much. And I want to thank our listeners. I'm just so honored to have this opportunity to keep Discover Lafayette going. And we couldn't do this without our sponsors. I'd like to thank Iberia Bank, now a part of the First Horizon family, Oxner Lafayette General, and of course, Raider, in particular, Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape. Happy holidays to you all. Thank you for listening. I'm Jan Swift. Thank you.